Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7. We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, this, these three chapters, uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And uh, of all the places in the Bible, this is one of those sections that we don't want to just rush through. We want to take our time because Jesus is, is sharing with his disciples the very life that ought to, we ought to be expecting, and, and he expects us to, to live, and a life that certainly um, we can ascribe to. Uh, these things that we're discussing are very difficult in the natural, but in the spiritual, uh, with God's equipping, we're able to do them only through him. I, is, can anybody do these things in the natural? I mean, can you imagine trying to live the way Jesus is, is showing us these attitudes, these, these kingdom ideas, these ways of living? Can you imagine trying to do that before you got saved? Before you came to Jesus? You'd be frustrated. And, and even as Christians, we can be frustrated. But I want to encourage you this morning that even though we look at these things and they seem like they're unattainable, um, understand that God wants to work through you. He wants to work in you and through you. So don't be discouraged by these things because remember, we are in the process of sanctification. Every one of us, when we came to Christ, God didn't just sprinkle pixie dust over us and all of a sudden we were perfect. In his sight, we were made in Christ. And, and right now, this is a, a mystery, right now we are seated in heavenly places in Christ. He already sees us perfected. And never lose sight of that because in your own experience, as you go through life, you sin, you make bad choices, you do things, and you feel awful. And the devil is right there, including your own flesh, saying, you know, you've really blown it this time, and God can't forgive you. In fact, he won't. You're supposed to be an example. You're supposed to be an ambassador of Christ. And then you pull this, the angels are all tearing. That's why it's raining today. The angels are crying. And then you, yeah, it's true. And the devil's going, yeah, rotten Christian. But is that really the way God sees us? I mean, as a born-again believer, you are, uh, you are the apple of his eye. Yes, Israel is the apple of his eye. Don't get me wrong. But he loves you more than you can possibly imagine. His job, his, his heart is not to, to browbeat you, to pummel you. He wants to love on you. But yes, it does require a death to self. And is it easy? No, it's not easy. In fact, it's, it's hard at times because we have to face this, this person in the mirror. When you looked in the mirror this morning, you had to look at that guy and say, there's a death sentence on you. <laughs> You're dead but the newness of life through Christ. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So be encouraged with that, brothers and sisters. Don't be discouraged. There's enough discouragement in the world. In fact, we were just talking about it in the prayer room this morning. Let the joy of your salvation, has it gone somewhere? The joy of your salvation? Has it kind of taken a back seat? Is it waning? Is, are you starting to wonder, Lord, is, are you really there? Are you... You know, all the difficult things that we see in the world around us. Anybody having a problem with that? I'm having a problem with it. And if you're not having a problem with it, you're, you're either one of two things. You're, you're not paying attention or you just don't care. But the thing is, is I do care. And why? I mean, certainly my, my eyes are on heaven and, and so should yours be as well. But we also have to live here for however long the Lord has us. 
And what is happening on this earth matters. And it matters to your sons and your daughters and your grandchildren, should the Lord tarry. All of these things matter because they affect other people. They affect other people. That's why it's such a big deal. And so we are citizens of two different kingdoms. The most important is the kingdom of God, but we're also here. We're citizens of this country. And so it's important that we uphold that and we pray for it and we do everything we can that God would be glorified and that the right things would be done and that we pray for those things. Follow me? And so Jesus wants to encourage you today even though we're going to be talking about some hard things. Now, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, and we looked at the Beatitudes in chapter 5, and we looked uh, last week about this idea of not worrying. You know, we can't add one cubit to our stature by worrying. In fact, the vast majority of the things that we worry about don't ever come to pass. That, that's a, a statistic. The vast majority of the things that we worry about, and it's in the 90s, the 90 percentile of things that we worry about don't actually come to pass. We worry about them. They take away our sleep. They rob us of our peace. They, they cause us to spend more money so that we can quell the anxiousness, whether it's you know, pills or, or, or for unbelievers, they, they take drugs or they take uh, alcohol, whatever they do to quell this hurt, this anxiety. But you and I, we can go to Christ we can go to him, and we don't have to worry. That sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? We don't have to worry. We really don't have to worry. Jesus said it. Don't worry. He's got it under control. And guess what? The worst is yet to come, but guess what? The church is not going to be here at the very worst. Are we going to go through some difficulties? Yes. I believe we're going to go through some difficult times. But you hang on to the Lord because he's got a hold on you. And you know what? I love the, I love the, the picture of a, a young child grabbing its father's leg and just holding on for dear life. And wherever the father goes, the son or the daughter is going. Hang on to the Lord. Don't lose heart. Don't lose your faith in Christ over the difficulties that you see around us. Hang in there and, and, and know that God has got everything under control. Everything under control. The economy, he's got the elections, he's got everything in the palm of his hands. He's already seen it, he knows what's coming. In fact, he told us to, to know what to prepare for. And so why do we go, why did we go through the book of Revelation? Why are we continually bringing up these things? Because God wants to prepare you and I so that we don't have to worry we're not taken off guard. Does everybody know where things are going? Could there be a reprieve in our country for a short time? It's, it's possible. But ultimately, know this. You've read Revelation. We know what Revelation 13 is about. We've read 17 and 18, the one world economy, the one world religion, the one world um, currency, and the government. It's all going that direction. He told you in advance so that you wouldn't be afraid. So he knows, and therefore we know. So now, what can we do? Let's rejoice. Let's rejoice. Let's not lose the joy of our salvation. Probably the greatest witness you and I are going to have is when we walk around with a smile on our face in the midst of chaos because the Lord knows what he's doing. And he has not appointed you to wrath, 
to his wrath. Are we going to receive the wrath of man? Possibly. But we will not experience God's wrath. He has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Amen. Yes. All right, let's open to um, chapter 7. Now Jesus continues on in this sermon on the mount that he gives on this beautiful place along the side, the western side of the Galilee. And he says, we're just going to look at the first 12 verses. I don't even know if we'll get through all of that today. But look what it says. He says, judge not that you be not judged. And immediately everyone is going, oh no, this is really going to be really tough. Yes, it's going to be really hard. Uh, it's not going to be exciting, but it's, it's good for us. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. And knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Wow, that's a really, that's a mouthful, isn't it? It really is, and it's difficult, and we live in a, a difficult time. And, um, you know, Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged, and that brings fear into most people's lives because we've all heard people tell us, you know, don't judge me, and we bring something to their attention. And um, that, that, that's, a lot of the times the world likes to use that to pigeonhole us and to silence us because whenever somebody says, don't judge me, what that means is the Holy Spirit just zapped them and they didn't like it, but they're going to blame you because you're the only representative of his in their view. (laughs) So people take these things out on you. Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. This word, judge, is it literally means to condemn or to damn or making a decree. It's, it's a final sentence, if you will, okay? It's a final sentence, and this scripture gets maligned an awful lot in our culture. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't judge actions, because whether they are good or evil or right or wrong, we, we need to know right and wrong. And, and we do know, inherently in our hearts, we know right from wrong. From birth, we know that it's wrong to steal. And you know it when a child is looking at a sibling who's, who's maybe a year ahead of them, and they steal something, and, and they grab it out of their hand, and they're looking around because they know they're guilty. God has put that in us. It's a conscience, and it's a wonderful thing because our conscience is something that God places there, and we can either allow that conscience to be seared and to totally ignore it and then to continue in our hellish direction, or we can take that 
uh, conscience and say, Lord, I come into agreement with you. Would you please help me? And God's going, I am so glad to help. I'm so glad you asked. <clears throat> Excuse me. But judging doesn't mean that we can't know right for wrong because we do need to do that. And God has given us that conscience and we know it's wrong to steal and murder. So we have to be able to judge our own actions. So this verse really can't mean that. And so typically when you bring a sin issue, as I've said before, to somebody and, and, and it hits a nerve, <clears throat> excuse me, and the first thing that'll come out of our mouths is, don't judge me, brother. Has anybody had that happen? Raise your hand if you've had that. Pardon me. Yeah, it happens. But that is not judging them necessarily because uh, that's just you pointing out what isn't right. Judging them is passing sentence upon them and condemning them. Now let me ask you a question. If you're going down five-mile line road, it's 35 miles an hour, at least in my trek that I travel. Now if I'm going 85 miles an hour down five-mile line in a 35-mile-an-hour zone and a police officer pulls me over, am I going to roll down my window before I give him my license and registration? Hey, man, don't judge me. I deserve to get whacked with a baton. Get out of the car, punk. <laughs> Not only are you going to get a, you're a big fine for this, but I'm taking you downtown and feeding you to the wolves. And I would deserve such, going 85 and a 35, certainly. But see, I wouldn't say that because the law judges me. The law is already in effect. The law is the one that judges me, and you're going to pay a very large fine, have points against your license. You may even lose your license altogether. But what does it tell us in... In John chapter 3, I love this. And, and this word condemn that we see here that I've got in red uh, is, is the same word that Jesus says, judge not lest you, you know, uh, lest you be judged with the same measure. He says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn or to judge the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now there is coming a time when he will judge the earth, but when he came in his first advent, when he first came in the womb of the Virgin Mary, miraculously, he was here to save the world. He wasn't here to judge it. That day is coming. But he who does not believe in him, in Christ, or he who believes in him, excuse me, is not condemned or judged, finally and ultimately judged, but he, uh, because he, um, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. See, we cannot and should not condemn anyone. God is the only one who can do that because he knows all things. Jesus in John chapter 5, verse 22 said, For the Father judges no one, for he has committed all judgment to the Son. God the Father doesn't even do that. He leaves all the judgment to the Son. Why? Because the Son is the one who paid the price for you and I. He is the only one who is rightfully able to judge. I am not. I don't have all authority. I don't have the mind of God in the sense that I know all things. I don't know all the information. I don't even know what motivates me sometimes, much less you. And so we, we walk around and we can judge people and we can pigeonhole them and say, well, God is done with you. Is that judging? Yes, it is. Because you're basically saying, you're passing sentence and saying, God is done with you. Well, Another year down the road, that person might get saved. And so your judgment makes no difference. 
God is the one who judges. In John chapter 12, Jesus speaking, he said, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believes on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hears my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. But he that rejects me and receives not my words has one that judges him. And that is the word that I have spoken. The same shall judge him in the last day. Yes, He came not to judge initially, but he will come and judge the earth. But see, I don't have all the information on any any given thing, and thus I can't pass ultimate judgment on on anyone or condemn anyone. I'm not qualified. Anybody here qualified? Raise your hand if you are, and the ushers will take you outside. (laughs) Gently, of course, and then shut the door. No, none of us are. We're not qualified like God uh, to, to, uh, on any matter of right, in a righteous manner because we might not have all the information. So we need to be careful about judging others' motives. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul speaking to them says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Moreover, it's required in stewards that one be found faithful, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I am, uh, I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. And here's the verse. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of, of darkness and he will reveal the counsels, that is, the motives. He will reveal, when Christ comes for the church and we are with him, he will be able to discern all motives. And that's why we have that Bema seat judgment for works that we've done. And it's, a works, it's not a works of whether we go to heaven or hell at that point, but it's, a, it's one of rewards or losing rewards. But he knows the counsels of the heart. He knows the motive, and I'm not capable of judging your motive for whatever it is that you do. It's not fair for me to judge your motive, because I don't know your heart. We all do things that, that other, others, if, if they come in in the middle of an action, they don't, they don't know what happened prior to any given moment to understand what is the motive for what you're saying? What is the motive for what you're doing? And notice, and then uh, an example of this is if you're in line at a very popular store and there's a line of people waiting and suddenly this young boy, there's a big line out the door and it's, it's a really great donut shop, a really great donut shop. And so everybody's lined up, fresh donuts on Saturday morning, beautiful skies, Cider and the whole nine yards, they're all lined up, and there's a little boy down at the way down at the end, and he comes running up, and he comes running up, and everybody sees him running, and they're like, what is he doing? And everyone's starting to get really mad. He goes up, he grabs a donut from the, 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 the servant at the cashier, and he grabs it, and he runs, and people, men are like, I'm going to go get that guy, and you got three guys chasing him because he's a thief, and then finally he runs back, and everybody's upset and angry, and little do they know, that his mother is having a di- going into a diabetic coma. And so he gives the donut or the, the drink, of the, the sugary drink to his mother to revive her before the paramedics come. And do you see how important it is to understand the, the bigger details? Because immediately they're judging him. What a young rat. I'm going to pound him. You know, and, and, and the rage comes up. And I can't believe who raised this kid. You know, and everybody's just like incensed. And little do they know that his mother is on the verge of dying or going into a coma, and he knows that sugar is what she needs. 
We don't have all the information. We immediately judge. We don't have it. We don't know what happened prior. We don't know the circumstances. And isn't it so fun? It's not fun at all, actually. It's so disgusting how even in social media, you see people doing this stuff. They don't even know what they're talking about, and they've already passed sentence on an action before they know all the details. I don't know about you, but it's hard to get to the bottom of any truth in this world. It's hard to get to the bottom. That's why Jesus said in John 7, he says, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. You remember in 1 Samuel chapter 16 when Samuel was sent by God to Jesse, and Jesse had eight sons. And remember, his youngest son, David, was out shepherding the sheep, but his other seven sons, it looked like that, that little picture that people have stickered on the back of their SUV, you know, with the kids, and they're all into the tall and, the, and going all the way down to the small. Well, well, Jesse brings all of these seven boys, his sons, before Samuel, because Samuel's going to anoint one of them to be king. And Samuel, remember, he goes up and he looks at Eliab, the firstborn. Oh, he's blonde. He's, he's beautiful. He's, he's wearing that cologne that everybody likes. And he's handsome. He's got some muscle, too. That must be the guy. And God's going, no. And God says to Samuel, what did he say? Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Aren't you glad that God does? He looks at the inward. He is the perfect judge. Because I can fool you and you can fool me, but God sees the heart. And therefore, I'm not equipped, I'm not qualified to judge you or to judge your motives for whatever you do. Now, now granted, I mean, if you pull out, if you're, if you're, you're in church and you stand up and you go into a tirade and for, for no reason, we're going to carry you out of here, <laughs> right? Gently, of course, you know, kindly. But, you know, there's, maybe there's a reason, but we don't, we don't want to discuss it here, right? The, one of the ushers will t- follow you and ask you what happened. But you know what? We just don't know all the, de- all the details. We don't know. And yet Jesus tells us that you will know a person by their fruits. Well, isn't that judging? No, that's just being observant. See, the world wants to tell you that whenever you make any kind of moral decision about something that you're judging. No, it doesn't mean that at all. I'm not condemning anybody, but am I able to call a spade a spade? When I look at an action, am I able to say, well, that's a bad thing. I don't know what caused it. I'm not going to judge your motive. But that thing that you did is not right. Don't judge me, brother. No, I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you the truth. What did Matthew, what did Jesus say in Matthew, in Matthew 7, verse 15? Beware of false prophets who come in in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Well, don't judge the, the, the wolf. No, you judge the wolf. Shoot the wolf. <laughs> Get rid of him. He's a wolf. He eats sheep. <laughs> he likes lamb chops. That's his diet. No, you get rid of a, a wolf. He says, you will know them by their fruits. Oh, wow, that means I'm not judging by knowing them. By... No, you're not, you're not judging them. You're, you're, you're seeing what's going on. And you're thinking, this is not a good person. I'm not judging them. I'm not condemning them to hell. 
I'm just saying that what they're doing right now is not right. Can they change? Yes, they can change. Can they, can they turn away from their sin and be saved? Yes, they can do all that. But right now, they're not going in that direction. And I, you know them by their fruits. He says, do men gather grapes from thorn brushes or figs from thistles? And the obvious answer is no. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Yes, and you're not judging when you do that. The world is trying to silence you, Christian. Because when you bring... When you bring a more, when you bring morality into any situation, they immediately they get stung. And thank God they get stung because that means that there's still hope for them. Because when their conscience is seared, they could care less about any conviction. But if there is any conviction in their heart, they will normally, the, the dog that barks the loudest is the one that got hit. And when they start screaming at you and saying, don't judge you, just smile. Maybe turn around first so you don't incur wrath. You know, because your heavenly father is working they got stung, and, and they'll take it out on you. Don't judge me, brother. And you're like, no, no. You just pointed out the very fact that the Lord convicted you right here. That's what happened here. I wasn't judging you. And yet, even the 12 apostles will be judging the 12 tribes of Israel in the millennial reign. Did you know that? Jesus said in Matthew 19, Peter answered and said, See, we have left all and we followed you, therefore what shall we have? And so Jesus said to them, Assuredly I say to you that in the regeneration, yes, the regeneration, he's speaking of the millennial kingdom, which follows his second coming physically to the earth. After the tribulation and all of that, the church is removed, the tribulation, Jesus comes back to the earth, we come back with him, the millennial reign. In that regeneration... Jesus said, Assuredly I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Wow. But we should be careful not to judge a book by its cover. There's a story that's been told, and I'm going to read this to you. This is really interesting. And this has happened to me, not as embarrassing as it is for Mr. Moody here. The story has been told of D.L. Moody, who criticized one of his church members. The man always came into Sunday morning service, entered the back seat of the church, and promptly went to sleep. Moody became irritated with this behavior and finally expressed his disappointment and anger to the offending brother. And the man was crestfallen and apologized profusely. But Moody became ashamed when the man said, Pastor... I am an engineer, and I have to drive my train all night, all through Saturday night. I should be in bed, but I hate the thought of my pastor having to preach to my empty seat on Sunday mornings. Everybody tells me I should not come to church, but I cannot stay away. I am so sorry. But when I get into the warm building, my eyes get heavy, and I fall asleep. And Moody placed his hand on the man's shoulder and said, My brother, it is I who am sorry. You come to church and sleep all you want to. It's fine with me. And see, it's easy to judge. This man is just being a, a, a slug. He's, he's, he's just filling up space in the church. He comes and he sleeps. That's happened here, actually. Don't you guys get any ideas? 
<laughs> We've had that happen here too. But see, we don't know all the information. I mean, knowing what that guy went through and his heart attitude, wouldn't that change your mind? Knowing that, having a discussion. Now that Moody knew the more information, he's like, oh my goodness, Lord, forgive me. It's amazing. I remember, I'll never forget this as long as I live. There was a young, young boy. My daughter was still in um, preschool, I think it was. And there was a little boy who kept kicking her. He would walk up to her and he would just be kicking her every single day, kicking her, kicking her, kicking her. Now, this was many years ago. I mean, she's 15 now, but back when you know, she was in that age. And I'll never forget this, and, and, I, and I regret saying this. Let me just be up front with you. I'm, what I'm going to tell you is something I wouldn't do today. But he kept kicking her daily, kicking her daily. Nobody would seem to do anything about it. So I, I, me being a dad, I'm just like, because I had bullies when I was young too. And, and she said, Daddy, what am I going to do? I said, well, talk to your teacher. Well, they don't do anything, and they don't see it happening. I'm like, well, the next time he kicks you, you haul off and kick him right back. I know what's wrong, and it's not Christ-like, but it felt good. And I know I'm wrong. Don't judge me, brother. So I know I was wrong, and you know what? I went to the, 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 the teacher, the principal. I remember this as clear as day. And I went to them, and I said, um, and this was not too far away here. It was a Christian place. And I, and I told them the story, and they said, well, we need to tell you something about that little boy. And I said, what? And he said his mother is dying of cancer. And his father just divorced his mother. And so this little boy is going through a hurricane. His mother's dying. His family's breaking apart. He's angry. And that wiped me out. Knowing that information changed everything. So I promptly told my daughter not to kick him. But the, the matter got dealt with right after that happened. And I thought to myself, Lord, what a fool. I was so ashamed. Have you ever been ashamed like that? I literally drove my car into the back of the parking lot and just bawled like a baby. Asking God to forgive me. But the truth is hard to find, especially today, isn't it? You know, and, and, and all the real truth that we have is the word of God, you know. And do you have Jesus in your heart? Do you, does he have you? Because he is the truth. John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. He is the embodiment of truth. He is truth. Psalm 119 tells us the entirety of your word is truth. That means that from Genesis to Malachi and then Matthew to Revelation, the whole thing is God's word. It is the truth. All of your word, the entirety of your word is truth. Jesus, when he prayed in John 17, he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And not only the Bible, the word of God being truth, but Jesus also is the living word of God. What does Revelation tell us? When he comes back to the earth physically, to his second coming, what does it say? In Revelation 19, verse 11, I saw heaven open, and I'm so looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to the rapture more than I am that, because that's the next thing for you and I is the rapture of the church. I'm really looking forward to that. But this is the next thing that I'm really in, uh, 
um, excited about. When Jesus comes back, he said, John says, Now I, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness, notice, he judges and makes war. He's qualified. He knows what he's doing. He's able to do it perfectly and righteously and correctly. And he makes war. His eyes were like the flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except for himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called what? The Word of God. So God, who is the truth, is ultimately the only one who can judge with perfect knowledge, and he is spot on in his judgments. Romans 2 verse 16 says that there's coming a day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Yes, there is a day coming, and that day is coming for the ungodly and those who reject Jesus Christ. Well, when is that day? It's at the great white throne judgment. A day set aside at the end of the millennial reign of Christ at the end of the thousand year Christ and Revelation 20 tells us and you've heard me share this scripture over and over again but I'm going to read it again at the end of the millennial reign at the end of the thousand year Christ John says I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it whose face and whose face uh, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things. Notice, and the dead were judged. Yes, this is the judgment, the final judgment. They were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Is everything you do written in a book somewhere? It is. And hopefully you come to Christ and all that stuff is washed away. But these will stand. And it says, And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And notice, they were all judged, each one according to his work. And then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Yes, that's the final judgment. That is judgment. That is being God able to judge correctly. I am not capable of doing that. But he does call us to call sin, sin. And first in our own life. And it's okay to know something or someone by their fruits. You see it. And it's okay to say, that's not good. I don't know exactly what it is, but that's not good. That's not judging. That's just being observant and doing what God wants you to do. You have to be open to that. And first, do it in your heart. Don't be pointing fingers at everybody else. Go, no, you're a, you know. We don't do that. As the old phrase goes, when I point one finger at you, I've got three pointing back at me. It's true. For with what judgment you judge in our text this morning, you will be judged. And with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. If you're the kind of person who is judgmental and you look at everyone with squinting eyes, don't be surprised if you find that people do the same to you. That's what this verse means. If you are critical, don't be surprised if people are critical with you. If you're impatient, don't be surprised if people are impatient with you. If you're unfriendly, don't be surprised if everyone around you is not friendly to you. 
If you're unmerciful, don't be surprised when nobody extends mercy to you. If you are unforgiving, don't be surprised if you are unforgiven. And if you hold a grudge, don't be surprised if people hold a grudge against you. And if you're unwilling to help others, don't be surprised when your time of need comes that nobody comes. But it all comes back to this, and we're going to look at this. Uh, I don't know that we're going to have time today, but in verse 12 of this very chapter, the golden rule, what is it? Therefore, all things whatsoever you would have that men would do to you, do even, even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Whatever you would have men do unto you, do unto them. That's really what it's all about. And if, if the world, even if the unsaved world could somehow do this, all the problems in our society would go away overnight. It would. But Jesus, here in the Sermon on the Mount, he calls us believers to do the exact opposite of what we can expect to see in the world. He does. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, he says, You've heard that it's been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thy enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies and bless those who curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Is that a hard thing to do? Yes, it is. Even as a Christian, it's hard to do that. It requires supernatural divine intervention in your life. It requires you and I to be submitted to Christ and to take the hard road. The easy road is what leads everybody. It's a broad road. It's easy because your, your old nature, your flesh, just wants, it goes the path of least resistance. But to take the high road requires effort. It requires something outside of yourself most of the time. Perhaps all the time. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. Boy, that's something that we don't normally do in the natural. For you shall heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward you. The idea is you're going to bring shame upon them. They're going to realize that they've been evil to you, but you've been good to them. And a lot of times, when we, re when we reply, there's a proverb that says, a soft answer turns away wrath. And I also think a, 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 a gracious action also does the same. When somebody is barking and getting in your face and just tearing you to shreds and you don't re, you know, return in kind, it removes the fire. It removes the fire. The flame goes out. Ah, but if you let your flesh, and believe me, you know when this happens, you're just boiling inside, your face is red. Even if that happens, you don't have to do anything. Because in your heart, you want to just tear into them, verbally or physically, and you just take it. And you let the Spirit of God grab control of you, the fire goes out, and you will regret nothing. But I promise you, if you open your mouth or do something, you will regret it. And that may be the only witness that some people see is the graciousness of a saint who has been grilled by a very nasty, rotten person and you didn't return in kind. It requires a supernatural strength and grace. It's just not going to happen unless you are in Christ. It's not going to happen.
So how about it? You know, as we, as we read this, something we need to consider for ourselves, isn't it? It's something that we really need to take notice of. I don't want to judge anybody. I, I'm not qualified. I don't have the mind of God in the sense I'm not omniscient. I don't know your motives. But see, that's really what this is all about today. Let's be careful not to do that. Let's be careful not to do that. And notice, a great example of this is in the book of Esther. You remember that the Jews were in Babylon uh, captive, and this occurred during Sh- at Shushan the palace during the Babylonian captivity. And remember Mordecai, who was Esther's uncle, he would not bow down or acknowledge Haman, who was a newly promoted officer in Ahasuerus' kingdom. And so Haman was so furious with Mordecai the Jew that, he not, that because he didn't bow down to him, and he determined not only to kill Mordecai, but also all of Mordecai's kind. And that means all of the Jews. And he did it, he planned that on a specific day in all the provinces, on a specific day, that they would kill all the Jews. And Ahasuerus had previously agreed to this, but he didn't, know the, he didn't know the big picture of what was going on to this. And he didn't know that his own wife, Esther, who was a Jew, he didn't know that she was a Jew. 